Broadcasting from the wine country in California, this is the Kick-Ass Relationship Show, where intimate secrets and modern advice for couples is shared to elevate your relationship to live sexier, happier, and have way more fun. We believe success in life is better when mixed with excitement and love. And now, here's your Kick-Ass Relationship Coach and best-selling author, Midori Verity. Hey everyone, welcome back to another show of the Kick-Ass Relationship Show. I am wondering if you have received the memo that you should be more mindful. Are you still wondering what the heck that means and why you should even care? It's kind of a buzzword going around right now. The fact is that it can shift your entire relationship and your life. My guest today will give us the lowdown and help us learn how to use mindfulness more effectively. I'm Midori Verity, an author, speaker, and I'm known as the Kick-Ass Marriage Coach. And each week, I bring you guests, tips, inspiration, and fun to help energize and elevate you and your relationship. So right now, we are going to kick off the show with my three minutes to thrive. And this week, what we are talking about, we are talking about building synergy in your relationship. This is key to a strong, long-term, happy relationship and building the foundation. So the first part of building your synergy or creating synergy in your relationship is to come up with kick-ass goals, big goals that excite you. So make an, make an appointment with your partner and brainstorm and really think about what you both want. Come up with something for each of you, but also come up with something that you want to do together. So it could be whatever. It could be building a new house. It could be going on a big vacation. Maybe it could be downsizing and, and simplifying your life or retiring. Whatever it is, make sure that this is something that you do on a regular basis. Talk about your big goals. So that's the number one step to building synergy. The next part of that is that when you're going through this whole process, when you are talking about it with your partner and you are thinking about how exciting it is, what happens is in your brain, you release kind of brain chemicals, endorphins, dopamine, Those are called neurotransmitters. Doesn't matter what they're called. That's a big word. But what it means is that it's something that your brain's releasing. And what happens is your body starts, what those are, those are the love chemicals that are released when you first meet someone that you're really into and you're courting each other and you're flirting and you're doing all that. Your body's releasing endorphins and and especially dopamine. And it's something that your body kind of craves. So if you are constantly coming up with things that excite your relationship, goals and, um, and things to look forward to, you will continue, continually release those and you will keep that passion alive and that excitement. So that is what you want to do. The other part of that is you want to be thinking about how to help each other. So along this process, you want to be thinking, okay, how can I support my partner in achieving the goals that he wants to achieve? How can I, how can we both support each other in achieving these, these, these same goals together? The ones that we want to accomplish as one 
think of those things, really brainstorm and push your mind and, and overcome obstacles that are coming up for you and find ways that you can do it together. Does that make sense? So when you do this on a regular basis, you will start feeling, feeling this energy start happening with you. Just like, you know, let me take this back a little bit. When you, if you have kids and you've gone to their little league games, you can tell when they're really having a great time together because they'll play better. Or if you watch a professional sporting team, I'm in the, I'm in California, Northern California. So we watch the Golden State Warriors. They have incredible synergy. They play off of each other. No one's a ball hog and things just come smoothly for them. This is what you want to develop in your relationship. And you do that by following these these guidelines that I just recommended and kind of helping each other out and knowing that you have each other's back. All right, you guys, next week, we are going to be talking more about how to do big, how to create big goals, what the steps are to do that effectively that can create more excitement in your relationship. So make sure you come back next week for that. So if you like me on Facebook, this is what I suggest is going in and liking me on Facebook. It's at Midori Verity because I'm going to be posting these three minutes to thrive each week so that they can kind of give you some inspiration and some motivation in your relationship. So without further ado, we are going to be bringing in our guest. His name is Jeff Hotchkiss. He is an MBA, he is a business development consultant, and the author of Putting Wisdom to Work, Practical Mindfulness for Maximal Living. He is a wisdom warrior, possible advocate, and rebel with a cause to promote mindfulness as a path of wellness throughout all stages of life. He's been an executive with Apple Computer, founder of Levis tease and publishing entrepreneur. While we're, while we're waiting for Jeff, I'm just going to tell you, I have two class reunions coming up this week and next week. One, once my husband's reunion next week is mine. So I decided today, oh my gosh, I have to get myself into better shape. So I went out running this morning and it's been a long time since I've gone out running outside. I've been running on the treadmill, but there's a big difference being outside running. And so I've noticed when I got back from running, I had a headache in the back of my head, back of my neck hurt. And I was just kind of feeling a little poopish. So I think that's an indication that I need to get myself into some better shape. So I have today's Wednesday. I have a few more days to do it. We are bringing Jeff in right now. Is that right? Hi, Midori. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Hello. I'm doing great. Thanks. Okay, perfect. So I have Jeff Hotchkiss with us. He's an MBA. He is also a business development consultant and author of Putting Wisdom to Work, Practical Mindfulness for Maximal Living. He is a wisdom warrior, possible advocate, and rebel with a cause, promote mindfulness as a path of wellness throughout all stages of life. He's been an executive with Apple Computer, founder of Olivas Tees, and a publishing entrepreneur. So welcome to the show, Jeff. Fantastic, Midori. Great to be here. Great. So we're going to jump in. I want to know more about this whole concept of mindfulness. What I was telling the listeners 
uh, before you hopped on is that mindfulness is such a buzzword. We've been hearing it go around for a while, but I think some people are having a hard time kind of wrapping. If, if it's kind of new to them, they're having a more of a difficult time wrapping their, their head around what it actually means. So can you go into the concept behind that a bit for us? Absolutely. It's a, it's a great conversation. We can go all day on this one, but let's try and <laughs> tighten it up a little bit because like you say, it's a buzzword. Everybody's talking about it and rightfully so because there's a lot of benefits in cultivating it. But the, uh, the, short, the short answer to that is I believe that since our life experience is processed in the mind, mindfulness is the ability to draw on the wisdom and lessons learned through life to enhance the life experience, to make it better, richer, and more enjoyable. Uh, for more peace of mind, and in the case of this conversation, great kick-ass relationships. Okay, great. So how? So I know you you wrote your book recently. How does your book approach this idea, and how does it relate with relationships? Yeah, my book is covers a lot of ground, and that was great preparing for your interview because it allowed me to focus in on the relationships aspect of it. So I kind of think of it as the missing class from school, kind of a life user guide. You know, I wrote the book because I needed some help making sense of my emotions and my feelings and my situation. And, you know, we all work so hard, but we're all really so hard on ourselves at the same time. So I took an approach of trying to break things down into really what what are the needs? What are the needs that we have to live a happy, fulfilling life? And I came up with five main pillars health, relationships, resources, responsibility, and creativity, which includes fun. So the premise is that if you take care of those five pillars, if you take care of filling the needs across those five pillars, everything is going to unfold exactly as it needs to be. And so underneath each pillar, I came up with what I'm calling personal policies. These are little nuggets of wisdom, brain operating system upgrades, whatever you want to call them. Um, they're, 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 they're nuggets of wisdom that have worked for yourself. They've worked for others. You know, learning through experiences is one way to go through life, but it's kind of hard and takes a long time. So personal policies are ways to kind of speed that process up. So one of the main pillars is relationships, and under relationships, we have a lot of different policies to draw from. Okay. So if you were talking with a couple and you're, you know, you're telling this, the, telling them about this whole concept of personal policies. Can you give me an example of an exercise that you would do with them to help them build that? Sure. So there's no shortage of great material on, on relationship building, relationship management. And I want to make sure we're talking about the broad term of relationships here. You know, romantic relationships within couples are really, I know that's the, the focus of your show, but I think the skills we're going to talk about encompass our work relationships, our friends, our neighbors, our, you know, everything that we do. You know, when you break it down in life, it seems like relationships in general are the one thing that brings a tremendous amount of joy and satisfaction and happiness and well-being to everybody. Um, so for a couple... It might be things like just looking at one, one approach to developing your, because everybody's set of policies is going to be different. There's no one set of policies that's going to work for everybody. So an individual couple is going to have individual needs, individual dynamics. Um, but they can start looking at what has worked for other couples. 
And one of the one of the core things that I think has worked well for a lot of couples is cultivating shared interests. You know, finding things that both people can enjoy doing, whether it be a hobby, an activity, something that they can um, really throw themselves into that they're both getting a lot out of individually, and together that enhances the relationship to a you know to a really a much higher level. Yeah, that's that's so interesting that you're bringing that up right now, because I know you didn't or I don't think you heard the beginning of the show, which I just suggested that I do um, an intro in the show. And we talked about building your synergy. So this falls right into that, having that shared interest to help build that that synergy and develop more of your shared interest. Absolutely. No, I missed that part, but you're right on track there. I believe in that. Yeah, absolutely. So t- what made you, you know, you came from being executive with Apple computer and you've, you came you, it sounds like you started your own company and you're a publishing entrepreneur. What made you interested in this whole concept of mindfulness? What made you step away from Apple computer to go into this? You know, the process of life kind of takes you down different roads and it's easy to fight it. And, it, and at a certain point, you just have to go with it. Uh, This book had always been inside of me, I guess you would say. I was the guy that had a file folder full of notes from, you know, everything from Deepak Chopra lectures to books that I had read to author talks. Just had this just pile of information, and it had been building up for many, many years. Um, After Apple Computer and then the All of Us Teas, life came to kind of a head, and I decided to leave the Sacramento area and move down closer to my family in, in Santa Cruz area, and I thought it was going to be this nonstop life of fun. You know, uh-huh. I guess you could say I was retiring, but I wasn't really, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. Anyway, I got down here and realized that I just had a lot, a lot of energy left, and I had a lot of desire to try and learn from the mistakes that I'd made. I mean, that's really how the book got started. <laughs> this is a funny quick story. We were backpacking high in the Sierra Mountains with some friends, and got to our base camp, set up camp, and, you know, we're getting ready to have a few cocktails and relax and enjoy some time up in the high mountains there. And we realized nobody brought anything to drink. We Everybody <laughs> thought somebody else had packed that in. So not like we're, you know, dependent on that, but, you know, we kind of had to shift gears a little bit and just had a mellow evening of telling stories and life experiences. And towards the end of the evening, my friends all said, Jeff, you you've got to write that stuff down because, I mean, there's been a lot of crazy catastrophes in my life, things, you know, that would you, you might consider setbacks. So it kind of started me on this seven-year odyssey. I got to Santa Cruz. I had a little time on my hands. I was looking for work, but nothing was popping up. And I remember, like, clear as yesterday, I was walking down the street, and I'm like, it's time to write that book. And I thought it might take a year, maybe two. So I dug into it, and, boy, if I had known how long it was going to take and how hard it was going to be, I would would have probably never have done it. But seven years later, I finished it. And that was just about a year ago. So it's just, the book was in me. I had a lot of thoughts and random ideas. I need to kind of put some order to it. Got it. I love that. You know, that's interesting because today, while we're, while we're, um, we had a little glitch in our show today. So while we were getting you on the call, I was telling the audience how, I started running outside again and, you know, I've been running on a treadmill forever, but I decided today that I was going to go run outside. And so what I noticed is, you know, there's where I live, there's a lot of hills and valleys. And so what I noticed, I caught myself doing is when I knew I was going up a hill, I put my head down. 
So I wasn't looking up the hill. So I couldn't see how much farther I had to go. I didn't see how much more, how steep it was and how difficult it was going to be. And then by the time I got to the top, I'm like, oh, that wasn't that bad. So similar. (laughs) And what you're saying is like, if, if you could see how clearly difficult it would have been to write your book, you may not have done it. Just like me, if I would have seen how steep that hill was and how far it was, there's no way I would have made it to the top running. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, little... I dug in I dug I dug into it just thinking, you know, I was gonna be able to pull this together and realized later, a few years later, that I had just been free range riding. You know, just kind of randomly putting my thoughts down and ended up with something like two hundred thousand words. And then when I got laid off of my last job situation, they the company got sold and I found myself with some time on my hands. Um I, I, I went to you know, edit it down and just realized it just was unreadable. So that was really two years of full time, treating it like a job, getting up first thing in the morning, 730 in the morning, being at the computer all day and, and digging into it. So yeah, if I hadn't seen that hill, I would have just turned and and jumped in the pool. But But you know, it takes those, those difficult time. And the reason why I'm uncovering this is because I think it's important for everyone to know we all have these challenges, which you talked about earlier. You talked about, you had some setbacks in life and that happens. It's part of everyone's journey. We have different types of setbacks. And when we pursue and we persevere and we overcome those, it makes it so much richer. Don't you feel? Absolutely. No question about it. You know, I think that life is a participation sport. You know, they, it, it might be safe to sit on the sidelines, but that's not where the action is. As soon as you throw yourself into the game, you're going to find challenges and you're going to find rewards. And it seems like those, the higher, the lower, the, the more difficult the challenge is, the higher the reward. So, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. got to, got to jump in with both feet. You know, you got to find your passion and, and, and chase it. And, and it's going to take you down some, some odd roads. And that's where policies come in because almost every problem we've ever are going to encounter has been encountered by someone else and it's been solved by other people as well. Like we mentioned earlier, you can dive in and try and learn everything and through experience in the school of hard knocks, maybe you'll get there. Maybe it'll take you a long time, but policies give you a, a strategy for looking at what has worked for other people and, and how to make it work for you. Like an example of what we were just talking about. If I had been more mindful of what it takes to write a book, I probably would have done a bit more work with outlining and using some of these writing tools to keep me on track and to keep my thoughts together and to keep the book moving forward as opposed to just, you know, throwing words on paper. Because let me tell you, when it comes to editing those words, it's in, it's, it's nearly impossible to cut your own work. I had to hire a number of helpers, including Claudia Graziano, who was my amazing editor, who stepped up and really helped me turn those 200,000 rambling words into 35,000 readable, you know, words in a book. Yeah. It takes a team. It takes a village, doesn't it? Absolutely. To make it work. So, you know, I just want to hit on this concept of, um, you know, you talked about that you've had setbacks in the past. I don't need you, you know, you don't have to go into those setbacks, but can you give us some tools that you've used to help you overcome setbacks? Have you learned any specific strategies or um, things that you've put into your little mental toolbox to help you get through them? It's a great question. Yes, 
of course. Um, I've learned a lot from, you know, what other people have done and what has worked for them. I mean, one of the, just to kind of frame the thing, probably the biggest setback, one of the beginning ones, was dropping out of high school at age 15. You know, I just, um, it, it, things came to a head, and I came home one day, and I said, I'm dropping out of high school. And my parents said, fine, but you can't live here. So the ego jumped in at that point, and I moved out. I dropped out of high school and moved out of the house at 15. And that, I've always felt like that put me about 10 years behind everything that my friends and different people in my age group were were dealing with and going through because I had to take a long route to getting back to going to school, getting back to a career and so on. So as far as strategies go, I would say try and surround yourself with the good people that really, really care about you. Not that my parents didn't care because they cared greatly, but I had probably pushed them to that point at, at, you know, where they said it's time to go. I'm, you know, there's no blame on my part. You know, a, a lot of my work shifts, tries to shift people out of victim thinking, out of thinking that something's happened to me because of X, Y, or Z. I'm having these difficulties into just taking full responsibility. So that's another tool is just standing back and saying, okay, I'm in this situation. I'm not going to blame anybody. I'm not going to look at exactly how it happened, but look forward as to how you're going to get out of it. So looking towards models of what other people have done, that's what's great about reading biographies and autobiographies of successful people is it gives you really solid models to draw from and to reference as you go forward. And then in addition to that, I would say some of the most valuable things that I've um, been able to develop is within that mindfulness context is learning how to slow down. And I would say the one word is meditation. You know, that's another one that a lot of people talk about and nobody knows exactly what it is. But, yeah, I've had some, I've been fortunate to have some teachers that have helped me slow down, get conscious of my thinking process, and then be able to use that awareness to consciously steer your life and guide it where you really kind of hope and want it to go. Yeah. You know, I've discovered meditation in the last, probably year, last year and a half, and I had no idea how much of an effect it can have. So, you know, before we go, we're about to go into a break, but I, let's, let's hit on that really quick, because I think, you know, for so many people we're rushing in life, especially those with kids um, or a business or in a, in a really strenuous career, we're, we're so busy rushing around that we, we don't take the moments to slow down, slow our brain down and understand how effective that can be in helping us approach our life. So what have you learned from meditation or what skills do you have? In me- I mean, well, let me back up a little bit. So did meditation come easily for you? Absolutely not. No way. No, because I didn't really know what it was. I didn't really know how to attack it. And like I said, living down here in the central coast of California, we are surrounded by mindfulness activities and groups. So I was very, very fortunate to fall in with a couple of groups that practice meditation and teach you about that practice. So, yeah, no, I, it didn't come naturally. But the one realization that, that I think helped me, at least, is you know, might help your listeners, is that, you know, we have these big brains, these big, developed, complex mind-brain things that are designed to solve problems. And we have used these tools to elevate our lifestyle and our situation to this, this 
this society that we live in where a lot of our needs are met, a lot of our problems are already solved. The funny little realization that came to me along the, along the way was that, you know, even when things are going good, our big brains are trained to solve problems. And if there's no immediate problem to solve, we're going to go look for problems to solve. And this all kind of happens unconsciously or subconsciously. So not going into the mechanics of meditation as much, but the value and the benefit of it, when you are able to slow your mind down, and it's really that simple, Midori, it's just about slowing your mind down because Mother Nature will do the rest. Meditation isn't something you do so much as just a pause. So that pauses the big brain long enough to realize that you can accept what's happening, you can find gratitude as become of a practice, you know, as a daily practice, and you can maybe step outside of the center of that mind circle for just long enough to see it. You know, they say you can only see the center from the outside. So stepping back kind of helps you put some perspective on things and feel grateful and 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 be able to sort sort out those those spots and put them into order. Absolutely. I, I found that <clears throat> just like what you were saying with meditation, things, I was able to see things clear, just like what you mentioned, you know, from the outside, it's easier to see inside more fully and completely. And that's what I found. And I'm, I, I was able to solve, or I'm, I'm now able to solve problems easier. I stay calmer. My brain is just, clear. you know, we talked about the word mindful, but I felt like my mind just kind of emptied out a little bit. And with doing that, I was able to replace my thoughts and get them, get them more in line with things that were going to serve me and help me just kind of navigate through life a little bit smoother. Well, I know you got to jump to break here, but the two words that I want to add to that are, are wants versus needs. You know, in our society, we're bombarded with the media, advertising, and blah, 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 everything that tells us what we should want. And as a result, we tend to get caught up in those wants, and we think those wants are going to serve our, our soul. But meditation helps you boil a lot of that stuff out and bring it right down to the needs. And then you can, because we have limited time energy, limited focus, limited abilities, limited resources, you've got to focus on needs. When you focus on needs, like we talked about those pillars earlier, when you satisfy needs across those five pillars, everything tends to just fall into place naturally. I absolutely agree. So with that, we are going to jump into our quick commercial. But when we come back, we are going to be talking to Jeff Hotchkiss about steps to upgrade our thinking and to start feeling better today. So stay with us. Hey, this is me, Dory, and I want to express how grateful I am for you joining me on my show. And for this, I have a very special gift for you that I am super excited to tell you about. It's a tool. And it's a tool that I have for those of you who are in a relationship and maybe feeling frustration and anxiety revolving around this partnership, like all of us do at some point, right? But it doesn't have to stay this way. The tool I'm talking about is my Energized Relationship Quiz. All you do is you simply answer six super simple questions, enter your email, and then my custom diagnosis will pop up and reveal the relationship issue. After that, it'll give you the tools to change your situation starting today, right away, right now. 
So stop arguing over the same things. Get your relationship back to that healthy and happy place you want it. And love being with your partner again. Yes, it can happen. Here's the coolest part. It's free. And like I said earlier, it's only six super easy questions. So all you have to do is go to my Facebook page, which is the at sign Midori Verity, and type quiz in my messenger, and it'll take you right to the quiz. If you have questions, simply ask me on Messenger and I'll personally answer. In fact, I would love to hear your feedback. So once again, just go to my Facebook page, which is the at sign Midori Verity, and type quiz in my messenger. That's it. I look forward to connecting with you. Welcome back, everyone. We are here with Jeff Hotchkiss, and we are talking about mindfulness, and we've even hit on meditation and needs and wants, talking about all kinds of important things that will help change your mindset that will serve you better so that you can have a happier relationship, a happier life, and be able to approach things in a smoother, more helpful way for yourself. So now we are going to talk about concrete steps that you can use to upgrade your thinking and to start feeling better today. So Jeff, talk to us a little bit about this. How can we, how can we upgrade our thinking? Oh yeah. We'll just do that in two simple steps here. Okay. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do Um, it. We're ready. Let's do it. You know, the two simple steps are acceptance and mindfulness. And then the third version, the, third, the little caveat on that is gratitude. Um, you know, acceptance, I don't, I don't think that word really does it, though. The word that I've been using lately is radical acceptance. Ooh. Because, yeah, really, because, it, and this is something I've gotten kind of through my Buddhist teachings and through some other, um, you know, things that I've been doing in my life. But, you know, they say the root of all suffering, and I'm talking, you know, everything, the world as we feel it is perceived in our mind. Our mind is the filter of our world, and all suffering comes from wanting things to be different than they are, you know? I love the John Lennon quote. Um, How does that go exactly? Life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. You know, our (laughs) mind... (laughs) So true. It's so true, you know, we're busy caught up, you know, anticipating the future, we're busy regretting the past or wishing things were different. So, you know, the the, the one approach I would think to to really getting your life and, and, you know, framing it is to learning to just step back and accept where things are and make that ground zero. Put that in the center of your awareness. So stop, stop looking for you know, the shiny object, stop looking for, um, or, or maybe stop blaming everything that's in your life. That's not happy. And just kind of accept how it is. Absolutely. Is that what you're and saying? The, it, it is in the forward, uh, in the forward of the book. I think I have a line that says something about, uh, writing this book took me from a disillusioned victim to grateful warrior, you know? And I, it, it seems to me, Midori, that so much of the mental illness and the mental stress and the anxiety that surrounds us in this world, in our world today, is kind of a disconnect between where we're at and where we want to be. And sometimes you can change those things, sometimes you can shift your life really easily, and sometimes it takes, you know, a bit more work. 
And so, you know, that disillusionment, you know, it seems like you, you can't turn on the TV without seeing some advertisement for, uh, you know, an anxiety drug or depression drug or some, you know, some drug that's going to supposedly fix that problem. When in, it just seems to me that 90% of the people that are feeling stressed out are, are just not in touch with the reality of their own world. So acceptance and mindfulness gets you, gets you on that starting page. And then you can start working through your own personal pillars and creating your own policies to take you where you want to go. I, you know what? I, I love that because it's a mind shift. So you can still be happy. Let's say yesterday you were doing one thing and today it's the same thing. Maybe yesterday you were unhappy. And even though you're doing the same thing today, you do that little mind shift. You decide, you choose to approach it differently. You choose to think about it differently. It's that simple. It's a shift. And just like what you're saying, you accept it. And maybe it's not where you want to be, but it's your journey. And you know that you're going to go somewhere better in the future. But when you just kind of change your frame of mind, there's hope and there can be happiness. And you just learn to accept where you are, knowing that you have the power to, to change it if you want. Well, Is that kind I've of what you're saying? Little, absolutely. I've got a great little story to, to, to illustrate this. And the word that we're going to focus on is hope here. Because when you get centered in the re- what I call the reality zone, where you're seeing life as it truly is, it may not be what you want, it may not be what you're hoping for, but you're seeing it as it is. And then you get yourself on track. You know, you get yourself moving forward. Let's say, you know, you want to forward your career, you start taking some classes. You want a better relationship, you start working on it. You want more health, physical well-being, you, you know, eat better, go to the gym, all those things. So once you get centered in the reality zone, and you get squared, you, you, you take the victim thinking off the table, and you start moving forward, it's not so much where you're at or where you want to be, but that you're in progress. You're making progress. You're in the process. And this creates hope. And the great little story, I just love on this, and I did research this. I heard it on the radio, and I had to look it up. So I have a, a whole thing in my book about the rat park, which is Dr. Alexander's um, experiment on, on addicted rats. And you can find that in the book. But one of the little caveats that I found is, well, let me just ask you a question. How long do you think a rat can swim in water? If you just throw it in a bucket of water, how long do you think it can tread water before it, it starts to drown? Oh gosh, half an hour. I think it's like 10 minutes. Okay. Okay? So let's say you rescue that rat at seven minutes. You take that rat out, you dry him off. And this could probably be a lot of different animals, but this study was done with rats. So they take the, the rodent out, they dry him off, they give him a little food, they give him a little something to drink, and then put him back in the water. How long do you think he can tread water that second time? Uh, is it longer? It's like three days. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's like 72 hours. It's, un- it's unbelievable. Wow. But power, a little bit of hope will give you. Because the rat was rescued. And now yeah. it has hope of being rescued again. And, and, and in our lives, we just tend to lose track, thinking, I'll never get through this. I'll never get out of this. I'm stuck here. You know, I'm a victim. Versus getting squared in acceptance and putting the tools of life development to work for you. And these are proven tools. This isn't rocket science. These are things that people have developed that work, and they're 
a lot of them are detailed in my book, and there's a lot of activities and exercises to make them reality, to bring them into your daily life. But yeah, that little rodent can go for three days with just a little tiny, just a sliver of hope. Isn't that crazy how psychology, the psychology of hope has such a power over our minds and how strong our minds can be. And I just want to, I want to go back a little bit to what we were talking about earlier in meditation to have that hope. Sometimes when we're in, we feel stuck on that hamster wheel of craziness and unhappiness and depression what happens in our mind is we are, that's all, that's what we're focusing on. So therefore, when you're focusing on that, what happens where focus goes, energy flows. So you start bringing in more of that. And by just pausing for a second, using some of the examples that Jeff has talked about that are probably in his book as well, pausing, doing meditation, becoming more mindful, you can change that instantly. And you can create more hope. You can find ways out and you can start creating more positive momentum so that instead of staying on that treadmill of dread, you are starting to see a treadmill of hope, not even a treadmill, but progress towards hope. And that changes everything. So I'm so glad that we're having this conversation right now. Okay. So it tell changes, us, it changes everything. Go ahead. Yeah. It changes everything. Think, and it's not hard. It's not hard at all. You know, they say that happiness is an inside job, and it's absolutely true. I can't count how many times I've done what I call throwing the cards in the air and just doing a mental reset, going back to square one, letting go of what's not serving me, identifying what I think will serve me, and then moving into that process of, of, of moving towards those, you know, fulfilling those needs. Oh, um, my gosh. This it, is it, makes so... it, it makes it, yeah, a huge difference. It's so pertinent to my couples. I have most of the couples that come to me, unfortunately, they're not just, uh, you know, by the time they come to me, they are overwhelmed. They have created really bad habits with communication and the way that they interact together. And often they have a sense of hopelessness and, you know, it doesn't take long for me to kind of shift that mindset to show them, nope. There is so much hope. There's so many things you can do. And, and, it's, and it applies to all aspects of your life. You know, it could be in any situation. There's always hope. So, yeah. And then once you have that hope, just like you said, the, the whole rat story, I'm going to look that up because I love that. But the whole thing with, with the rat, he, you know, at first he could only go 10 minutes and then he was rescued. And then he can go for, what did you say? How long? Something like 36 hours. hours. Like three days. Holy cow. So just that glimmer of hope can create that amount of power. It's it's insane. Okay, but I need you to go. What was that? I was going to say, isn't that amazing? It is, but it it happens every day. And I've seen it. I know you've seen it with with people that you've worked with and just using the exercises that that are in your book. it's well, those couples, those couples are very lucky to have you help them make that shift, though, because it's difficult to do on our own sometimes. I don't know if any one book can do it, but it's a process that we go through. I mean, it just seems they're so we're so tough on ourselves, and we're hardwired for this inner critic to drive what I call ants. I don't, I didn't make that up. It's a psychological term: automatic negative thought. So we have a stimulus and a response. So the the ant thinking is a is a negative response to a stimulus. And this inner critic fuels that and these stories, you know, we have about 60,000 thoughts a day. 
And people think, oh, you know, we're thinking 10 things at once. We have one thought after another, and it's typically a stimulus and a response. So when you're able to break that mechanical mindless response and you're able to shut down the inner critic and the stinking thinking that comes from the inner critic, you know, scripted stories, you're able to develop what I call a kind mind where the mind feels that stimulation and instead of just jumping straight to some sort of ant negative thinking, it says, okay, here's a hopeful thought and let's work with that. Yeah. I love that. I even, um, I, I remember reading a book and it talked about the ants, just the term that you talked about the acronym and pretending that every negative thought was an ant and you mentally, you squashed it, you squashed it and you replaced it with a positive. Yeah. There's so many mind games that you can play that can serve you and, and help you out. So now we need to go into number two. So you talked about radical, radical acceptance, not just acceptance, but radical acceptance is number one. So now let's talk about number two. What's step number two? Um, step number two, well, we've kind of already touched on it, identifying needs and then really coming up with a plan, you know, and this is where I think your listeners are going to find a lot of value in the free tools that are on the website, the, the, the book has a companion website. So the book is, is inexpensive and it's a high value. I think there's a lot of, lot of content in there and there's even a money back guarantee on it, Midori. Wow. But, um, that's, yeah, that's, I, that's how much I believe in it, really. Yeah. Um, but on the companion website at policypillars.com, there's, I think, five or six different companion exercises, activities, and um, they're free right there. You can go, go there and grab them at any time. Um, they're fully described and fully detailed. You don't need the book to go through them at all. Um, but I think the book will help you, you know, you know, put some, put the tools to work. But so yeah. as far as employing this, these ideas, and that's what it really boils down to is, is kind of, you know, shifting your thinking so that these new ways of approaching reality and, and, and re- responding to the stimulations in our life, you, you can re- re-pattern those. So some of those tools are, they're, they're kind of in order. I kind of feel like they work in order. I have this thing called the personal policy to report card. And it's a real simple, quick thing. Each of the five pillars, there's five questions. So you go through and you rate your success on the five aspects of your health, five aspects of your relationships, five aspects of your resources. And you just give those a number. And at the bottom, you get a number. See, one of the problems is, one of these tricks of human nature that we need to be aware of is that we compensate for what we're good at, or we compensate for what we're bad at by doing more of what we're good at. So if you've got great resources, you're making a lot of money, you often let your relationships slide, you know? Mm-hmm. If you've got a lot of love and, you know, if you've got a lot of fun going on, you might let your health slide. You know, those are just examples. So the personal policy report card gives you a visual cue of where you're strong and where maybe there's some room for improvement. You know, which pillar maybe needs some attention? What needs need some focus? So that's a real fast thing that your listeners can do to just give them a, a, an overview of, okay, maybe I've let my health slide a little bit, or maybe my relationships. Honestly, relationships are probably the most important thing that you can develop. There's a section in the book on the top regrets of, of the elderly, and the number one top regret of elderly people, and this goes across around the world, all cultures, is letting the relationships slide with old friends and, you know, not investing in those. 
So the report card will give you the ability to maybe spot that and maybe be able to say, okay, what am I going to do to fix this? I like, I love the idea of a report card just because it's such a visual concept, something that's tangible and it makes you look at it. And, and there's something about when you see it, you know, even though it's just writing and it just, it kind of hits you as like a one, two punch. Oh, I do need to stop drinking every single day and pay more mm-hmm. attention to my health. You know, it's, yeah. I just, I love that. What a great that's idea. Great. Well, it's great because I've found personally, and I've used all these tools personally for years now, I'll go back quarterly or maybe every six months, and I'll take it again, and it's great to see improvement in a pillar where, mm-hmm. you know, it's just become really obvious that I've, I've added a little bit of hope, I've shifted my thinking a little bit, I've started out with some new practices, I'm cultivating a kind mind, and wow, look at this, I've got a vacation planned with some friends, and, you know, I've got a dinner coming up, and... You know, I've learned how to go sailing now. I've got sailing friends. These are things that would probably not have happened without putting some energy into them. Anything that helps with with you being able to look back and seeing your progress, because so often we beat ourselves up. I mean, we talk, we've been talking about this this whole show, but so often in our, our minds, we beat ourselves up. Like, why, why am I not farther ahead? Why did this, why does this keep happening to me? But if you have a report card, if you keep a journal, if you have other ways of going back and saying, oh, look at all this I have accomplished. Look how far I have come. It's so important to give us that power back and to help us realize how fabulous we actually are, right? We all need that once in a while. Well, that segues perfect into the other two free tools on the website is the Gratitude Garden Attitude Adjuster and the Ulysses Contract Mindfulness Map. So these are two tools I put a lot of work and thought into. First one being Gratitude Garden Attitude Adjuster. We tend, like that big brain we talked about, is always focusing on problems. So the Gratitude gratitude Garden is a one-page thing that kind of draws you backwards, and it looks at those, those, those happy accidents and those experiences and those people and those situations in the past that give you a, that, that warm, happy feeling. And it gives you a chance to just make a note and detail those and bring those into your present tense awareness. It's a real simple attitude, real simple action that you can take. And there's actually a little exercise in there called the Easy G, uh, G-Jar, where you... Um, are gathering those little slips of paper, you know, that people give mm-hmm. you all day long, the, the gas receipt and, and whatever, the corner off the newspaper. And you start to make little, after you've done your gratitude garden, you're more aware of gratitude. You start noting these little, uh, as you get these slips of paper in your daily routine, you make little notes about your gratitude and then throw it in a glass jar at home. You'd be amazed how fast it fills up. And it's a visual reminder to say, I am too blessed to be stressed. And it changes your focus. It changes your lens. It changes how you see the world. I like that. I'm too, say that again. I'm too blessed to be stressed. Is that right? Too blessed to be stressed. That's exactly right. I like that. I like that. Okay. And then tell me the last part of, of, um, you talked about a a map. Ulysses map? Yeah. The the gratitude garden is a real simple activity. And then the last, I saved the last for the best because... It's a little bit involved, but, you know, I think we have a tendency to want to solve 
difficult problems with easy answers. It's kind of one of those quirks of human nature. Yeah. And a lot of the problems that your listeners are having, everybody has, relationships or whatever aspect of life, is you're at point A and you want to be at point F. And you may not know the steps to get there. Or you may have some ideas. So I've put together what I call the Ulysses Contract Mindfulness Map. And it's, once again, a one-page worksheet activity. It's free on the website. And you identify where you want to be, maybe based on some information you got from the report card. And then it draws you right through the process of breaking that down into the individual steps, ways to change thinking, what tools to employ, and how to go about navigating that path forward. And just a quick story on, on how it, you know, the namesake, Ulysses Contract, you might remember the, 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 the book Odysseus, or Odysseus um, from one of the great uh, Greek novels. Right. He wanted to sail past the island of the Cyrenes. And these were, you know, deadly mermaids, basically, that would attract sailors into their island with their, with their lovely song. So Ulysses wanted to hear the song, but he also wanted to live. So he put wax in his, in his crew's ears, and he had them tie him to the mast, and he, he, he was able to row past the island of the Cyrenes, hear them, but not perish in the process. So the Ulysses contract map is what I do, what I, what I call rigging the game. It sets a path forward to get you where you want to go almost naturally once you get the pieces in place. I like that. You know, it keeps you away from those shiny objects, which has been my problem. And I've been noticing I've been batting them off recently. So Mm. what a fitting, what a fitting name. We have to go into a quick commercial break and then we are going to come back and play a little game. So come back with us guys. Hey, this is me, Dory. And I want to express how grateful I am for you joining me on my show. And for this, I have a very special gift for you that I am super excited to tell you about. It's a tool. And it's a tool that I have for those of you who are in a relationship and maybe feeling frustration and anxiety revolving around this partnership. Like all of us do at some point, right? But it doesn't have to stay this way. The tool I'm talking about is my Energized Relationship Quiz. All you do is you simply answer six super simple questions, enter your email, and then my custom diagnosis will pop up and reveal the relationship issue. After that, it'll give you the tools to change your situation starting today, right away, right now. So stop arguing over the same things. Get your relationship back to that healthy and happy place you want it and laughing with your partner again. Yes, it can happen. Here's the coolest part. It's free. And like I said earlier, it's only six super easy questions. So all you have to do is go to my Facebook page, which is the at sign, Midori Verity, and type quiz in my messenger. And it'll take you right to the quiz. If you have questions, simply ask me on Messenger and I'll personally answer. In fact, I would love to hear your feedback. So once again, just go to my Facebook page, which is the at sign Midori Verity and type quiz in my Messenger. That's it. I look forward to connecting with you. 
Okay, you guys, welcome back to the show. We have been having an incredible conversation about mindset and mindfulness and meditation and personal policies, which is what Jeff Jeff talks about in his amazing book. And we are now going to have a little more fun. Jeff does not know what we're about to do, but we are about to play the truth or truth game because last week we got a little sidetracked. So we are going to play it today. Done. Okay, so Jeff, how this works is I'm going to ask you some questions. I will give you some choices. And the rule of the game is that you just have to be honest. You have to tell the truth and there are no opt-outs. So you ready to play? Ready. Okay. All right. The first question is very simple. Who do you believe is the hottest celebrity of all time? A. Jennifer Aniston, B, Beyonce, C, Lucille Ball, D, Bo Derek, or E, you may fill in the blank. I'm going to go with Jennifer Aniston. I always thought she was great. She's so, she, you know, she just seems like the, an easy person to be around, doesn't she? Funky and fun. Yeah, you Yeah, bet. I think so. All the positive things that we've been talking about. Okay, so the second question. What's a woman's first impression when they meet you? A, that you are just fabulously brilliant. B, that you are hot. You're almost on fuego. C, that you're the life of the party. Unless, of course, you forget to bring the alcohol to the camping trip. Or D, he looks like a guy who will buy me a drink. I think they're going to see all of those wrapped up into one nice package. Oh, I like that. That's a good answer. And that's a good person to be. Okay. Awesome. Oh, well, for, you know what? I didn't even ask you, are you single? No, I've actually just recently reconnected with an old friend and we've rekindled our romance and it's going really nicely. Okay. All right. Sorry, all of you single people out there, but he is currently taken. So anyway, we're going to move on to number three. What's most important to you in a relationship? A, sexual chemistry, B, spending quality time together, or C, their cooking ability? (laughs) It's about the quality time for me. You know, everything's important. But boy, you know, when you can connect and relate to someone and and feel like you're being heard, and and it's just, it's a great feeling. And like we talked about earlier, those shared interests, uh, you know, I've been sailing with my girlfriend lately and we've been just really enjoying doing that together and those those that's what's important to me I agree I you know for me I do there has to be some kind of connection in the very beginning but that only lasts a short period you gotta have that quality that quality time to help build that relationship so you're you're on your path that's great okay the next question what compliment are you most likely to use a you look great today. B, you've lost weight. C, you're better looking than my ex. D, you look just like your mom or E, you look great for your age. Oh, I don't think I would use any of those. <laughs> you wouldn't? <laughs> no. Maybe that's no, why you're personally. back with your girlfriend. <laughs> Maybe. 
Maybe. I try and look at people's essence and the spirit that's within, not so much about appearances or situations. And, you know, I try and be really supportive of, of, you know, people's needs and what they're, what they're looking for, even before maybe they know that they're looking for it. Okay. So that was spoken from someone who knows how to be in a relationship. (laughs) Okay. That's great. All right. The last question in this may be my favorite. You're at a party and an attractive guest. Okay. So you're single at this attract at this party. Um, and an attractive guest mentions that they have a waterbed. Do you, A, change the subject to something more tasteful, B, say, that sounds nice, or C, mention that you have a new snorkel and you've been dying to try it out? <laughs> well, in that situation, if I was single, I would probably talk about my scuba diving and my snorkel a little bit. Okay, fair enough. I'm glad that you're being honest because that's what this is all about. So that's awesome. Jeff, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on and talking all about these and just, you know, all these great tools that are in your book and sharing them with our audience because I know how valuable these tools are. I've used it for myself to change where I was and to create the life that I have now. I've watched it a bazillion times with my clients. So please share how our clients can get more information about you. And then also you had mentioned that you have those free free items for our clients. So where can we find all this information? Yeah, it's real simple. It's uh, policytillers.com. And that's the home of the book. And you'll also see other aspects of my life because you can't just sit and, and sit at the computer and write all day. I do a lot of different things. But as far as this conversation goes, all the free tools are there under the toolbox tab at policypillars.com. Um, you can get the book direct from me. You can get it through Amazon. I would encourage your readers to look at the reviews on Amazon. Um, I feel really gratified to see those. And I actually got a review in the mail the other day from Brian Tracy. I'm sure you've heard of Brian Tracy. Wow. International. Yeah, international author. I sent him a copy of the book, and he sent me back one that with a with a with a quote in there it says this book will show you how to get the best out of yourself and everyone you meet so that really wow, what so an great. honor to get something yeah. from brian tracy because you know he's he's um he is the guy so that's awesome congratulations so i will also have this on our website so if for some reason you forget it you aren't able to write it down right now of course it is on my website midoriverdi.com forward slash show and just look up Jeff's name and we will have all that information there along with the replay. So thank you for being here, Jeff. And next week we are going to have Miss Michaela Cotting on with us. And she's going to be, actually it's quite fitting with what we've been talking about, but she's going to be talking about the benefits of yoga on your life and your mind and how it helped her survive stage four breast cancer. So like always, I always end the show talking about the gratitude attitude. Make sure that you share at least one thing every single day with the person that you love, or maybe even the person that you don't love. Express your gratitude for them and watch how your world starts to blossom and shine even more. All right, you guys, until next time, I look forward to seeing you then. We will see you next week, next Wednesday. Thanks for being with us. 
Thanks for listening to the Kick-Ass Relationship Show with Midori Verity. We hope you've enjoyed the show and want to share the love by passing on our web address, midoriverity.com forward slash show to your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous shows. This has been a Midori Verity International production. Join us next time on the Kick-Ass Relationship Show to add passion and fun to enjoy the most extraordinary relationship and life.